Pray with me, please. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts and minds of your faithful. Holy Spirit, breath of God and fire of love, we cannot pray, we cannot preach, we cannot receive preaching without your aid. Kindle in us now the fire of your love and illumine us with your light, that with steadfast wills and holy thoughts, we may approach the Father in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. I'll begin with a confession, and that is that it was just yesterday that the staff decided to commemorate Epiphany on this Wednesday service, and so I'm a few days short of preparation time. So this, unfortunately, this is not a sermon or even a reflection worthy of a principal feast. Epiphany in the prayer book tradition is, uh, it, high, it ranks just as high as Christmas or as Easter. It's one of the principal feasts. And I've heard stories of how glorious Epiphany services used to be. It's kind of dropped off from almost the whole church's radar, it seems, which is unfortunate, um, because it has something really, I think, cool for us if we attend to Epiphany. Uh, the first is to just notice that it's not Christmas, right? Uh, if you have a nativity set, when I, when I grew up, all the kings were right there, right? You set them all up at the same time. And it wasn't until I entered into the Anglican tradition where the little church that we went to had their nativity set up for the 12 days of Christmas, but the kings were actually in the back of the church, and they would make their journey, these little figurines, in the church all the way up until Epiphany. So right now in our house, our three kings are sitting on a bookshelf waiting to arrive to the nativity scene. We get that um, from some technicalities in the Greek. In Matthew's gospel, the word for child is a different Greek word than the Greek word for an infant or a baby. And so we think there's been some time lapsed between the actual birth and the visit of the Magi. So this is a distinct event in the life of Christ, and I'm very grateful to the tradition for kind of teaching me that, even though it came very, very late into my own consciousness. And did you notice just how prominent the theme of light is. It's one of those themes that's deeply embedded into the whole structure of the biblical story and pretty much every kind of feast or festival we celebrate. But the Epiphany is the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, to the world. And so the theme of light and darkness is very prominent in the readings. Arise, shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the people's. That idea of darkness, that this, this morning I was bumbling around in my bedroom when it was dark, trying not to wake the new baby, right? Um, I've started a, a, a little bit of a New Year's resolution, I guess, and that is not having my phone with me when I go to bed. It usually sits on my bedside table, and I'm ashamed to admit that uh, for quite a while now, I would have stuck one Bluetooth earpiece into my ear and drifted off to sleep listening to something, usually um, a certain animated adult uh, comedy show. Okay. Mike, take my confession later. It's Family Guy. I'm sorry. It, sometimes it's really funny. But I drift off to sleep to that, and I know that it's not good for me, and so I said, okay, new year, I'm going to try something new. I take my phone, and I put it out in the kitchen to charge, and so I don't have anything with me to drift me off to sleep. Surprise, surprise, I've been sleeping much better. But what that also means is that I don't have my flashlight when I'm awake in the morning, and in this morning, I'm literally trying to find a pair of socks by the light of a Fitbit. It's not working. I remember finally that my wife has just done the laundry, so the socks I'm looking for are probably out in the living room anyway. But that theme, right, that idea of light and darkness, when was the last time you were so disoriented in darkness 
You just, you could not find your way. And remember the moment that you found a source of light, that you found the flashlight, or you found your phone. It just, it, it illumines everything else. It helps so much. It's so disorienting to be in darkness. And that's what the scriptures tell us humanity is in. When, when we're outside of Christ, when we're outside of the life of God, when Adam and Eve plunge us into the fall, we go from this glorious light of God's presence into darkness. Not only darkness, but thick darkness. A darkness, right, that you can actually feel. A darkness that doesn't just disorient you visually, but a darkness that disorients you at all levels. That's the darkness of sin. The darkness of sin disorienting us from not just our vision, but our souls. I think culturally we're kind of having a moment of that, even a very, very small way. I was just listening, I mean, hours ago to a sports commentator, Nick Wright, and all these sports shows are now talking about DeMar Wilkin, of course. This young man who collapsed on the football field and uh, he's still in critical condition. And Nick Wright was talking, and he's across from apparently one of his best friends, and he was talking about how um, his best friend right across from him and his wife are very religious people. And they have something that he doesn't. When he sees this tragedy, and, and it's this weird, it's very weird cultural moment where it seems like now the whole culture is praying for the first time in who knows how long. But this tragedy strikes, and we all kind of get this sense of there's darkness out there, and we really want a source of light. And so we turn our attention and our minds to a higher power or something bigger than ourselves, searching for transcendence, some kind of light. And this commentator, Nick Wright, is telling his friend and his wife that I'm very jealous of you because you have something I don't. I'm not very religious. I don't really believe in a higher power. So I could hear in his voice the darkness, the thick darkness that he feels when you live a life apart from God, outside of his, not providence, but outside of the conscious revelation of him and the knowing of him and the difference that that makes. We just began a new book at Inklings this morning, um, and it's The God Who Gives, How the Trinity Shapes the Christian Life. And in the preface, the author, Dr. Kelly Capick, who was the Canuga speaker from last uh, summer, he talks about how he, just, he wants to tell the old story again, the, what philosophers call the meta-narrative, the story of God and the whole world and humanity and the story of everything. And he says that when we know the story of everything, when we kind of come to the realization of the truth with a capital T, it, it changes how we see everything else. Suddenly, something like a tragedy is not unbearable. It may not be delightful, it may not be happy, but it's bearable. God can get us through it. But in, in absence of God, without his love, without his revelation, without his touch, we, if we allow ourselves, we'd feel the darkness, the thick darkness that covers us. And so this image of a star, something in the darkness shining down, that is leading us and guiding us, that, that Jesus Christ, in a sense, is that star. That in the midst of the darkness that we feel, the darkness that we find ourselves in, the double darkness, as Aquinas calls it, of sin and ignorance, God takes some of his own self, his light, and he pours it out onto us in our minds and in our hearts so that we no longer feel the thick darkness of being lost. I think that's what I want us to just come away from this service with. 
to remember that we can feel the darkness. And sometimes it impinges upon us. But every time we take a moment or 20 minutes to, to reorient, to open up scripture, to pray with a believer, to read the word, to meditate on God's goodness, to take communion A little bit more light is taken from God himself and poured into our souls. So that darkness would be dissipated more and more. And did you notice then what our role is as people who have the light within us? Paul says that he's preaching, he's writing to illumine. To take some of the light that he's been given and pour it back out into the darkness. So that people would see it, come to know it themselves. There's a a missionary aspect to this, that as we have been people who have been redeemed out of darkness and into light, that we take that light now and we send it out into a dark world. Paul in Colossians talks about how Christians are, they're stars. They're shining in the midst of a dark universe. And I'll close this way, that that light is what we hunger for, what we long for, what we want. It's no coincidence that some of the best Christmas carols talk about Jesus as the desire of nations. At the very base level of everything we want is this hunger and appetite for God himself. And when we're in the midst of darkness, what we want more than anything else is light. And so this afternoon, that's what we do. No matter what darkness we're experiencing, no matter where we feel disoriented, we take just a few minutes to turn our eyes upward back to the light so that God would pour his light back out onto us and that we would take it from this place into the midst of a dark world. Would you pray with me? God, show us more and more how glorious the gospel is. That when we were covered in darkness, a thick Darkness, you poured your light into the world and into our hearts, into our minds, to reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray whatever darkness we may be experiencing in our own lives would would dissipate just a little bit more as we turn our attention more and more to you in worship. And would we take the glory, take the light out into a dark world? so that people would see us and through us see you. In Jesus' name, amen.